All right. Well, hello, everyone. I have a special guest for you today. I have Mr. Josh Clayton. Been a friend of mine since good old uh, sixth grade, I believe. Um, and I asked him to be interviewed by me today on the podcast because he is a great example. He's a, a person that's constantly looking to grow, to expand. Uh, he's been successful as he's recently been promoted a chief of police. He's an attorney. He's an entrepreneur. So he has a lot of good insight and lessons learned that he's going to share with us. So yeah. Hi, Josh. How's it going? It's going well. So uh, yeah, I think I can attribute uh, a lot of these things to uh, Mr. Lauk's seventh grade English class where he let me uh, cheat off of you. I think I, uh, <laughs> I think I looked over your shoulder quite a few no. times. So no, no, probably did not happen. But uh, yeah, give us a bit of your background and then just your reason for, because I think people who know you, they're like, wait, you're chief of police and an attorney. Like why, why would you do that? Yeah, so I actually work for the Stanislaus County Sheriff's Office. Uh, I started there about uh, 15 years ago uh, now. And so at the Stanislaus County Sheriff's Office, there are several contract cities. And, uh, and so at those contract cities, we, uh, or the city actually brings on and appoints different chiefs of police uh, for those who are at the rank of lieutenant at the Sheriff's Office. So about a year ago, I had the opportunity to join the city of Patterson as a chief of police. And I got on there about a year ago, but back up a little bit and uh, go to my background as being an attorney. So after I became a police officer, uh, there was a time uh, back in 2008 when kind of the economy went south and I decided, man, I need to uh, be in, you know, kind of the captain of my own ship. And mm -hmm. I went back to law school. As you were working full time. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was quite of a, quite an experience, but it, I went back to Humphreys law school in Stockton and it's a night school that was three nights a week and got through that in about three and a half years while working at the sheriff's office. They were, they were great work with me and allowing me to the pursuit of that uh, endeavor. So do you still, do you, I guess, use or apply what you've learned from that? Do you still have an interest in, and doing the attorney thing, or are you just using that to kind of be more well-rounded as the chief of police? A, a little bit of both. So I have a great retirement where I get to go at the age of 50. I'm 40. Well, I'll be 40 in a day, but oh, I'm functionally, well, thank you very much. <laughs> so I'm functionally 40 years old. So I have 10 years uh, left at the sheriff's office. And so I really think that I'll utilize my attorney, I guess we'll call, call it privilege and or education once I'm done at the sheriff's office, but until then I'm focusing on law enforcement, but absolutely it complements what I do on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis. And so for those listeners who listen for the continuous improvement in lean, I remember one of the first conversations we had to kind of merge lean concepts with law enforcement was I did, and this is when I was first starting out, I did a conference and we talked about 5S plus safety, how to organize things. And I forget your exact job title at the time, if you're on patrol, but you're saying how, how important the trunk, if your trunk, everyone's trunk was organized where you could find a flare exactly the time that you needed it because it was life or death, maybe on a traffic accident and you can't find a flare. You can't find things in your trunk. Do you remember that when we were kind of first talking about how 5S would apply? I do. And uh, it still does. It's, it's kind of funny how some things change and uh, some things don't, but police officers are very messy. <laughs> and as you could imagine, uh, we carry a lot of stuff with us. And in our trunks, we would have, you know, things as simple as a road flare or a life jacket. 
And you would go from car to car in the parking lot and every single trunk would just look like there was an explosion of gear on the back of it. And we were constantly organizing it at the beginning of every shift. And you never knew what you were going to get if there was the right equipment in it. And so, yeah, that was one of the first times we applied uh, the theory and practice uh, at the sheriff's office to kind of... uh, unify and make uh, things much easier and simpler. Yeah. You've done different leadership training courses as well. And you're always someone who I think, man, they're just always looking to learn, to grow, to expand. And you also, as an entrepreneur, you had an operation out of your garage, which is like such a cool story to, to tell, hey, we started out out of our garage. So if you want to maybe give us background on top and kind of how COVID impacted that or, or just your thoughts on on that or experience. Yeah. So, uh, and we'll back up a little bit. So I got into law enforcement, uh, I think when I was about 22, 23, uh, kind of fell into it on an accident. I had a good time. I actually found out that I was fairly good at it. Uh, (laughs) kind of, uh, talked about the uh, way I became an attorney and that was through kind of like the recession and learning that, uh, you know, nothing was guaranteed. So I wanted to have kind of an escape plan. And, uh, and since then I just, uh, well, I don't have kids, so I have plenty of time. So I'm looking to fill my time uh, with certain activities that aren't video games, <laughs> the concept of top and the idea of basically we'll call it a console consulting for basically active threat situations for businesses and schools <laughs> came about from my time on the SWAT team. And we saw a real need to communicate certain principles and strategies <laughs> to civilians. And we came up with a, a fairly simple way to, teach this and make it so that it stuck with people with the hopes that it could actually help save people mm-hmm. if they ever found themselves in an active threat situation. Unfortunately, we started, I don't know, what was it, about a little less than a year before COVID, mm-hmm. maybe six months before COVID. And I don't know if you heard, but COVID functionally cured active uh, shooter and active threat situations for the last two years. Mm-hmm. So uh, unfortunately, uh, the whole top business and concept has been shelved, but uh, there's been some prodding interest in the last few months mm, with the Michigan stuff. And now, well, obviously, so it's, it's stopped because kids haven't been in classrooms as much, but now that kids are coming back into classrooms, like the tragedy we heard in Michigan. So you're saying there's maybe some more talks. And I, I like, I like how you started off doing a process, teaching a process and educating and, and kind of showing a strategy. Then you also develop tools that help support the process as well. Um, so yeah, it's picking back up is what, <laughs> unfortunately what it sounds like. Um, so do you see more people reaching out to you in the future? Is that something you're going to have to spend a few hours on per week to kind of get that back going? Yeah, definitely. And we'll see where it actually goes. And you know, it, the great part is we had a good six month run and we were looking to get into several schools and different counties outside of Stanislaus and COVID hit and just kind of shut it down. But you're right. Really, what we were able to do is distill down some otherwise complicated, we'll call it instruction for people that find themselves in in stressful and dangerous situations and really just focus on the basics and the fundamentals because, you know, people get really uh, narrow sight when they feel stress, right? And you've got to focus on these gross motor skills uh, to make big decisions, right? You're not going to be doing open heart surgery under stress. You want to just put one Mm -hmm. foot in front of the other. And so, yeah, we combine kind of some uh, strategic thinking and concepts with some very easy tools. So we hope to bring that back. We'll see how that picks up. 
Uh, my hope is that uh, we don't have any more active shooter, active threat situations, right. but uh, my fear is that there's going to be an explosion of it coming up. Wow. That's unfortunate. Jeez. So without revealing too much, like what should a teacher, if there's an active shooter, is it the teacher, you know, I have my daughter's in elementary school. Um, do they lock themselves in the classroom or is it better to like everyone just leave and run? So, you know, let's keep it real simple. Okay. And everybody's kind of heard this concept before. And it's the idea of a run, hide, fight, right? And so the best way to win a fight is to not get in a fight. And if you can run away, run away, right? And so if you cannot run away, then your next option is to hide. And to do that, you want to basically go to some sort of a room that hopefully has an exit, a window of some sort that you can actually break out if you need to and barricade the door. And then if you can't, you can't run, you can't hide, then it's time to fight. And so... What we tell people about fighting, you just don't fight fairly and remember what you're fighting for. A lot of people would kill somebody to protect their child. So you have to be willing to almost do the same to get back to your child. When we heard about this, the shooting and, and talking about our, our kids, I was like, I hope that the person at our daughter's school is armed with a gun. And yeah, ideally, maybe some of the teachers are, are who are safely trained and confident and know what they're doing. But I, I don't know. I don't know your your thoughts on that. Or if we should even talk about that. No, we can jump into it because unfortunately, the United States is very good at dealing with active shooter situations. Statistically speaking, Gary, if you're there was a shooting at your child's school with less than two minutes, there would be police presence and an mm -hmm. immense police presence at the school. Uh, Columbine kind of shifted the philosophy of how we respond to these events at Columbine. Uh, the idea was you show up, you surround the school, you wait for the SWAT team, and the SWAT team goes in and saves the day. Well, the problem is it takes a SWAT team 30 to 45 minutes to get there. Mm -hmm. Now, we went to Johansson High School here in Modesto. Mm -hmm. Columbine was built kind of around the same time. When you look at Johansson High School, what do you see when you look at the actual school itself? What does it actually look like? It looks like a prison. Yeah, and that was actually built that way as a design mm -hmm. uh, security uh, for the purpose of actually locking the kids in, keeping them safe for a lockdown. Now look at the schools now. How is Gregoria set up? It's pretty open, right? Yeah, and they're, they're actually building these schools now where they can. Yeah, geography plays a big role in almost mm. these pod situations so that if there was some sort of a shooter that showed up, they'd have to actually go from pod A to pod B oh, and they'd okay. actually isolate people. So there's a lot of things in your day-to-day -day life that you – don't even notice have changed because of these tragic events. But going back to the response for police officers, it's going to uh, end very quickly when the police officer arrives. Uh, typically, the suspect will either uh, give up, they'll commit suicide, or they'll give, uh, or they'll shoot it out with a cop. But either way, uh, the job of the police now is the first people on scene is to get there and neutralize the threat. Mm. So to have someone there with a gun can actually make it more confusing for law enforcement. And yeah. I can. Oh wow, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, I, I live in Houston, a small little town. I've thought about it. There was some sort of an active shooter at a high school, and I were to show up with my, you know, uh, my gun, and I didn't have a vest on or something like that. There's a very strong possibility I could actually get shot by wow. the responding police officers, and that's because these guys are showing up and they're scared to death. I mean, it, most of these guys are in their early 20s, and this is going to be one of the scariest moments of their entire life. Yeah, I was almost ready to have you just say, oh, yeah, Gary, everyone should have a gun, uh, you know, <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's why we have these conversations and we're both open to, yeah, hearing new perspectives. And that's when I never thought of like, yeah, that could be pretty dang confusing. And the SWAT goes after you. I, I never thought of that. 
Yeah, I'll bring up one other point that's yeah. uh, interesting with this. And again, it's really sad that you know, there's, we're even at a point now in American society where we have to talk about training kids how to deal with some sort of a threat in a school setting, right? Mm-hmm. But let's, what happens right now, Gary, if you were to light on fire, what would happen? What would you do? Stop, drop, and roll, right? Yeah. yeah. So the last time a child died in a fire at a school was over 50 years ago, right? And, but if you go to every school, their kids know to stop, drop, and roll. There's fire mm-hmm. extinguishers, there are fire drills, there are fire suppression systems there. And I guarantee in the 1920s, some kid came home from school one day and his mom asked him, you know, son, what'd you learn in school? Well, I learned how to stop, drop and roll Mm -hmm. if I light on fire. And the mom probably freaked out and said, oh my goodness gracious, you're going to light on fire at school, right? (laughs) Yeah. Today's kids, the unfortunate reality is, is they're hearing these concepts like run, hide, fight. And as gross as it is that we have to teach this to them, when they are our age, it's going to be stop, drop and roll to them. Mm, Good. That's yeah. To get that in their head early is something that happens more than fires. It makes a lot of sense. All right. So good stuff. Let's kind of transition into your new role because you're doing lots of different things, but as chief of police, I mean, that's, that's a huge promotion and you've only been doing that about a year. So from a leadership perspective, like what's different about it from your position before you were promoted to now and what, what kind of have you learned? Yeah. So there's a lot of autonomy uh, with being the chief of police and there's it's a lot of fun and it's stressful at the same time. But one of the things I've learned that is so crucial to having any sort of successful outcome is having a good leadership team underneath me. So just to give a little context, uh, the, the city that I'm the chief of police has 27.85 employees. I'm at the 0.85 uh, <laughs> per the contract. Hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and of those people we have, 22 sworn, meaning that 22 are actually law enforcement officers, not including myself. And three of those are actually sergeants. So those are kind of like my frontline supervisors. These are the guys that are out there uh, going call to call with the, the police officers. And they're the ones really that are handling the bulk of the work. And we really have a, a successful leadership team out there. And it really makes my job much easier. Yeah. So it's good to right? Have strong supporting cast with you and make your life easier. So are these people you found, you interviewed, were they already there and you're just kind of lucky to have them or is it people you've recently promoted? So two of them are people that we were able to attract out to the city uh, because we wanted them. And the one I've worked with since probably day one uh, at the sheriff's office uh, for for me. So we're very familiar and we work very well together and uh, he was out there already. And so he was the one actually filling in in my shoes temporarily b- until I came out. And so he's just been a great resource for me and he's my go-to person for any sort of problem that we have going on in the city. All right. So with, right, usually when you get promoted, there's more responsibilities or everyone points the finger at you when something goes wrong. And that's kind of rightfully so, right? I'm the CEO of my business. Something goes wrong. It's really not my employee's fault. It's my fault. I didn't have a good system in place or I didn't train them enough. So are there some challenges that maybe you faced that you're like, wow, okay, I'm going to have to change this about it. So any like early mistakes that you've made that you you've learned about? Yeah. You know, the buck stops with me. And so I need to one, hold people accountable and we need to be accountable to the community we serve, you know, but in that, you know, it, it really comes down. A lot of it is just problem solving and we can't overcomplicate issues. So often people just, they don't look to 
some of, you know, sometimes the most obvious solution is the most obvious solution. And they mm. want to come up with complicated answers when they're not necessary. So really, it comes down to avoiding some of those complications and not making non-complicated things complicated. So let me ask you a complicated question then. <laughs> so do you think just in general with everything going on and with the media and politics and everyone's stressed out, so do you think like the law enforcement and civilian relationship, has it gotten worse as the, the media shows? Has it gotten better? And I guess you can only speak, well, you can speak however you want from your, from where you're the uh, chief of police, but just maybe in Santa Sauce County extended or California, do you think that it is getting better or worse? Overall, I think it's actually better. The perception is that it's worse. And I believe that's attributed to social media and the advent of technology, uh, cell phones and the cameras that are attached to them. So it's good and bad that our interactions are shown more often because it holds us accountable. And we need to constantly improve our communications, our interactions with the public. But uh, the counterpoint to that is what gets the most attention is basically these negative encounters. And, and so a lot of people try and push those out as the only thing that occurs, but that's just not the truth. So say you pull someone over. So, okay, I'll back up because with social media, I think part of the problem is you only as, as a civilian, as just a normal person, you only get a glimpse of the story, right? So you get a, a little video of some, something midway that, that went wrong. You could see the, the symptom of something. You don't see the whole story. So just because I'm not a police officer, I, I don't know how it works. Maybe you could shed some light. Like if you pull someone over, like what information do you get? Like if, if you just pulled me over, do you know before you even get out of your car, if I'm a convicted felon, if I've had weapon charges on me before, what information, if you could, if you could share just general terms, kind of what do you know about the person you pull over? So it depends on the agency and what type of, we'll call it records management system they're running. Mm-hmm. However, typically when you pull someone over, uh, all you really know is you give the license plate and location to dispatch. Uh, they put this into basically a couple different systems. And the only thing that's going to pop up as an alarm is if the vehicle is associated with some sort of serious crime and or is stolen. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to know necessarily who's driving it, uh, who the registered owner is, if they have uh, a valid driver's license or not. I think that's going to be coming eventually where it is instantaneous, but currently that's not where we're at. So with that, I think when I was 16, I'm like, Oh, I went tinted windows. It you know looks cool. A lot of, cars look nice with that. But then when I thought, man, if I was a police officer and had to walk up on a car with tinted windows, like man, officer safety there. So is that, it's gotta be huge when you see a car that has tinted windows when you're walking up. I mean, what's going through your mind? Like, I don't know. That's such a scary job. I don't know. You gotta be somewhat crazy to do what you do. (laughs) Roll the window down. Uh, no, no. And that's just it. I, I can tell you that traffic stops in general are probably one of the most dangerous things that police officers do. And that's not because, you know, every single stop is some sort of a dangerous person that wants to shoot, shoot you, but you don't know what you're walking up on. And I don't say that as an excuse to say, oh, this is why they people roll up uh, or cops roll up on people and give them a hard time and start screaming at them. The the truth of the matter is uh, cops are human beings and they're scared, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of our problems is we watch the same videos that everybody else watches in regards of police shootings and all these things. And so we're inundated with violence. And so we have to really reset ourselves and remember who we're dealing with. And it comes down to talking to people. So let's talk about an incident in 2005 that happened locally. 
a CHP officer by the name of Earl Scott uh, did a traffic stop on a car that was just traveling northbound on 99. He was probably trying to get just an easy ticket. It was up near the CHP office. And as he walked up the vehicle, the driver handed him his driver's license and some other information from the car. Earl Scott took this and the driver then shot him in the face. Oh my God. And he dropped the dead there, still holding the information that he was given in his hand and the driver drove off. Jeez. Uh, the subject was captured. Uh, been. He was uh, captured, I don't know, a few hours later in Stockton. But the bottom line was this, Earl Scott was just going to do a regular, we'll call it routine traffic stop and ended up getting shot in the face. And so, you know, the public sees a lot of these social media videos and police are seeing a lot of these videos where cops are being shot on different incidents. And so they're scared and it comes down to really controlling fear. And the way you do that and get a hold of controlling fear is just through repetition and training and experience. And you really have to trust your gut in this job. Yeah. And there was that other video and man, it was the guy in Stockton. And so my wife, Monica, normally she wouldn't do things like this, but she's like, Hey, watch this. And just shoves her phone in front of my face. Normally she'll like, tell me what it is. And she showed, so I saw a police officer doing, like you said, routine, but in, in quotes, a wellness check. I think he knocks on the house. So I'm like, what am I watching? She's like, just watch. And this guy comes out and just starts shooting this, this officer. I think it was in, in Stockton. I don't know. It was about a year, year and a half ago, but I cannot sleep that night. I was like, Gee, all I did is knock on the door. And the poor guy was killed right there. And I saw it on video. It's just like, geez, he was just going knocking on a door. And then someone just came out and shot him. It was crazy. Yeah. Not a good situation. I think that one was in Sacramento and they were oh, responding Sacramento. to a domestic violence incident. But I mean, let's uh, look at the a very contemporary issue. The one back East at Kim Potter situation where that lady uh, officer pulled her gun instead of her taser. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, that's one of these situations where there's just not a winner. And you know, she clearly, clearly screwed up, mm -hmm. you know, but if you look at that video, uh, she was struggling with the person and under stress, she, she reached for a taser and grabbed it and, and shot him. And almost immediately after she shot him, everybody kind of looked back and even she screamed, I shot him, I shot him. And she was in shock. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, it's incumbent on us to do continual training and we need to improve our training and we need to stress our guys out and girls out when they do this training, because, these incidents don't happen in perfect environments, right? And we can't ever predict how we're going to react to anything. I mean, I'd like to say if I got in a shooting, Gary, I'd like, you know, do a somersault, you know, fire three yeah. bullets, you know, and then, yeah, you know, I'll blow smoke out of the gun and then twirl around and put it down. But I, I could also find myself, you know, balled up in a corner crying. I, I just don't know. Yeah. And it, it's tough because, you know, in my head, working, doing lean and thinking about air proofing things. Right. Like, how could you make it certain that she uses a taser and not again? I know there are protocols, but then there's also the time factor. If you have to go through too many protocols before you pull out a taser, right, there's someone's life on the line. So it's, it's very difficult. And kind of what is the, the protocol? Monica was telling me a little bit about it. But when you use it, you're supposed to announce something when you're going to use a taser versus a gun to, I guess, to your partners. Yeah. And when tasers first came out, they were they were shaped much more like guns. They were black in color. And I can tell you, there wasn't a lot of law around them. And so this actually happened several, several times. What happened with the Kim Potter incident. If you remember Fruitvale station, uh, Oscar Grant, I believe was shot by that BART uh, police officer oh, on right. the platform yep. on, mm -hmm. uh, on New Year's Eve. 
And again, that was one of these situations where under stress, uh, at the time, I believe he had his taser on next to his weapon, which is a big no-no. Mm. And so he grabbed the wrong tool and he basically shot this poor gentleman point blank in the back and killed him. Jeez. Horrible, horrible situation. And again, no winners in this situation. So since that time, there's been an evolution of uh, case law and then basically policy. You know, we've gone from having the requirement to have your taser as a cross draw, meaning across mm. uh, away from your weapon side to not even being anywhere where a normal weapon would be. Uh, these tasers have changed shape and color so that they are distinctly not the same as a firearm. Mm -hmm. So there's been many uh, changes and iterations. And, you know, in talking about case law, the courts have held that, you know, now to actually use a taser, there has to be some sort of actual resistance that could result in injury, essentially, to really distill it down. And that's probably because I think some people who've got tased, who had a medical condition or something, it might have... So yeah, that, I guess that would be an option is all right, only guns and then no taser because then you won't make a mistake. You know, if you're drawing a weapon that it is, you know, in a certain circumstance, I mean, there's no, there's no easy answer because there's, there's human error that could happen, you know, no matter what you do. And there's also right, bad people, no matter you're a police officer or not. So you said more training which I, I think is good, but no, no matter what, right. It's still stressful when you actually have to go do that. So yeah, training. So it makes, it makes the, I'm thinking statistics go down that you're going to make a mistake like that. The more training, the more experience you have being put in maybe scenarios. So kind of talking about the, the root cause of, of some of these problems and with law enforcement, maybe making mistakes, just like every other company makes mistakes. There's something that we talked about kind of offline. So Monica went through the police academy she failed out at the very end a night shooting. So she's someone, she was in, my wife was in the air force police dispatcher. And then when they did shooting through the academy during the day, she got the highest score. Now the night shooting, she had to hold a flashlight on top of the gun and she ended up failing out of the night shooting. So I know a little bit about the academy. So first I'm oversimplifying. I'll let you correct me. So <laughs> any, anyone off the street, right? Six months and I could be a cop. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, a, a little more complicated and, and it's changing a little bit. So right now to actually be a sworn peace officer, you need to be 21 years old. Okay. Uh, you currently don't, there are no education requirements uh, currently uh, to be a police officer, but yes, the basic police Academy is six months long and it's controlled by an organization called post the peace mm -hmm. officer standards and training commission. And so they basically set up, uh, I think, and I, I'll get this wrong, but there are, uh, I think 26, but it, there's probably more now learning domains that have to be taught uh, a certain amount of hours in each subject matter from, you know, from arrest and control to uh, racial bias training, domestic violence. I mean, you name it. And it, it spans all sorts of categories and topics, mm -hmm. but it's very limited. I mean, you think about six months is not a long time to get all this training. And so really what you want to start with is kind of like a good base. And that's why a lot of military people get into law enforcement. Uh, a lot of things that are taught in the military are very applicable to everyday life and law enforcement. I mean, you talk about how to solve a problem and the military has, you know, some sort of protocol on how to do it. Mm -hmm. And oh, go ahead. Yeah. So do you think six months is long enough? And then I have a follow-up question. No. Okay. If I was to take a test and something I learned in my MBA, something that maybe I don't apply now and I'll take a test on it. And that was 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't 
pass that test, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't use certain things anymore. So your thoughts on like continuous training or how, how often are police officers going through training on things like maybe psychological aspects or just how to like diffuse situation, things like that? So the six months is not enough. And to help supplement that, once you're hired on, post requires a certain amount of hours and certain amount of subject every two years, right? So we're hitting a crisis intervention was kind of a middle ground of how you talk somebody down mm-hmm. from some sort of a mental illness or some sort of manic episode mm-hmm. to domestic violence, to arrest control and, and driving. But we're constantly trying to do advanced training. Uh, and a lot of this advanced training isn't actually governed by post. As you know, sometimes uh, government subsidized tests aren't the best because they're just a standard. They don't go above and beyond what is needed. So, you know, I can tell you this year, uh, I was just going over uh, my five-month budget statement, and we're, we are well over our what we are supposed to spend so far on training. Now, part of that is because of COVID. The last two years, we haven't been able to travel and go to these outside training experiences and classes. And so we're really trying to make up for it now, and we're cramming a lot of stuff in because a lot of it just hasn't been available but uh, yeah, it's, it's critical, critically and crucially important. A lot with the, the social media, I see just how many dangerous interactions there are now. And are, is law enforcement experiencing not only a skills gap, but maybe just not as many people applying because now the more that I see different things going on, I'm like, anyone I know, don't be a police officer. Why are you? I'm like, Josh, you need to stop being a police officer. It's too dangerous. So are you, have you noticed maybe over the last five years, there's less people applying or is it the same amount of people or more people now? It depends on the agency. So going back to Stanislaus County, we actually did a poll, a poll in the last year, and we actually have a 77% favorability rating in general law enforcement. So we're very well liked in this community and it shows. So we still get high applicant pools, but we're actually getting a lot of lateral police officers from the Bay Area and other urban areas across the United States are seeing decline in retention and recruitment. And that has to do with, again, the perception of law enforcement as a young person you don't want to get into this career because you think you're going to be demonized and you're the bad guy. Right. And yeah, that's, that's true. You don't want to be known as the bad guy. Now, how important is it in communities? Cause we learned this in business. If I'm going to start up a business, I'm looking at the demographics, the, the race, the different races in that. And I want to try and hire people according to that. So if I open up something in, you know, in, in this neighborhood and it's known as a Filipino neighborhood, and I'm opening up a store there, I'm going to want some Filipino people to work there. So what is that in regards to law enforcement? What is kind of the approach? I mean, because it would help, especially if English is second language in an area, you probably want someone bilingual. So is that something that goes into maybe some of your hiring decisions? Yeah, absolutely. You want the you want your force to look like the community you serve. And, mm. you know, this is a root cause issue of of a lot of problems or perceived problems with law enforcement. You know, I can tell you, uh, Gary, you know me for a long time. So I was a bit of a wild child, right? But, you know, and a lot of people would have asked, he's a police officer or he's, you know, the chief of police of Patterson. But I can tell you one thing that I brought to this job that made me almost immediately successful was I'd had so much varied experience with we'll call it dumb decision-making that I could (laughs) empathize and talk to people and communicate with them in a way and manner in which other people couldn't. And I also found myself in situations where 
people were freaking out and I wasn't freaking out because for lack of a better term, I had already seen something similar or I'd been there and done that. And so I was able to actually roll that over and almost empathize with the people that I was talking to. And that is lacking a lot of times when people are coming in from outside the community. And so that's why if you can get some of these kids that have grown up in these communities, know the people, speak the language, and more importantly, aren't intimidated. So they don't have, they don't have anything to prove. Mm -hmm. It really does make a huge difference with how they're taken in and how they interact with the community. So yes, we're talking about problems and, and root causes. What are some problems or goals that you have as the chief of police, maybe for your agency, what are some things that you want to work on or, or improve at? Well, it's uh, definitely mastery of the budget. Uh, that's what I'm, I'm working with. I can tell you our overtime budget is out of control. And again, a lot of it you can't control because you can't predict a lot of things in, mm -hmm. in law enforcement, but, uh, uh, really, you know, what it comes down to, and it, it is actually a genuine answer is we haven't been able to get out. And especially I have not been able to get out in the community of which now I'm uh, the chief of police in to get out and actually talk to the community members. And that has been shaped around COVID. And so I'm hoping to actually just get out and talk to people and figure out what is, what's, you know, what's bugging them. How can I improve their day-to-day -day life? I can tell you, you know, I get a lot of calls and emails about, you know, traffic issues or the homeless. And I tell you what, I will take those issues all day long because those issues are better than hearing about someone that got stabbed or shot mm -hmm. or something like that. So I would say getting out in the community and just talking to people and, you know, making sure that we keep some quality of life issues optimal for people out in Patterson. How many murders are there in Patterson per year? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah. it's, it's actually been a while. We went for about three or four years. I think actually maybe five years without a murder. We without had our, a murder? Yeah. We, uh, we uh, actually had two this year. Uh, one of which was some young men. And again, this is a sad situation where a fight uh, happened and occurred after a minimum day at school. And one of the students was stabbed in the leg. And unfortunately they, they passed away. And then another oh, no. incident involved two roommates, but you know, again, no winners in any of these situations going back to the, the, the kids, they were not necessarily in high school, but they were right out of high school. And now we have a young man that's passed away and we have, uh, several other men, young men that are facing years and years of jail time. So it's not a good situation. So we talked about the agency and your department. And so just you as a person, Josh, I have to put you on the spot here. Mm. So to optimize just you as a person, your life, what is something that you think you'll focus on in this next year? Is it career, education? Is there specific skills that you want? Some of your close relationships, social relationships, finances, well-being, self-image, spirituality, physical health, or mental health? Any of those, something you're like, yeah, if I, if I want to optimize one of those things, it would be this. You know, I, that's a, all good stuff, but I think I'd have to focus on, you know, just kind of my own personal well-being. And I, mm -hmm. I say that kind of as a cheat answer because I think that kind of encapsulates so many things that you just mentioned, whether, you know, mm -hmm. it's financial well-being or physical well-being. I mean, I, I really think, you know, we are our own habits, right? Like you are your habits. If mm -hmm. you know, you're not taking care of yourself, how can you take care of others, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, going back in and tying this into law enforcement with finances, I spent probably an hour yesterday with talking to two newer deputies about their deferred compensation plan, right? And so about how much they should put into it as starting very young in their career. And, you know, because the idea is this, if you don't have stresses 
at home or you have, or you have stresses at home, you're going to carry those on to work mm-hmm. with you. Right. And so I, I really think it, it comes down to focusing on, uh, my own well-being. And I think that in, goes into spiritual health, physical health, mental health, you know, uh, my wife and I, Elena are working on starting our, our family. So, uh, you know, that'll probably take up some of my time. It's going to take up a lot of your time. Oh, believe yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've been, I've been spoiled for a long time. Uh, you know, I, not having any children yet, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, you're missing out too. I'm missing out too, and it, it's time to start uh, on that endeavor. Mm-hmm. I, I need some heirs, Gary. I need some heirs. <laughs> if you ever need help or a babysitter, you let me and Monica know. I've been raising kids since I was 17, so I do have some experience. Well, thanks for for being on. Hopefully, I didn't put you on the spot with too many questions, but it's super interesting and fascinating and, and brave what you do. And yeah, when we were friends growing up, I, maybe I didn't see you being a police officer, but who, who knows? It takes someone, uh, a certain type of person to do that. So I always totally respect law enforcement and yeah. So thanks for everything that you do and thanks for coming on. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. And, uh, to make you feel a little bit better about yourself. I never saw myself being a police officer either. So, <laughs> well, I'm glad you are one. So you're doing well. So. All right. Thanks. All right. Thanks.